Hi, Sony. Hi, Fonda. Is the dog loud? Sorry. I can hear the dog a little okay, bit. Okay, let yeah. me just, let me just, hold on. Okay. Can somebody please take the dog? <laughs> okay. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about the performing arts in Edmonton. I'm Paul. I'm Fonda, and we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I almost did the old tagline. Oh, my God. That's how rusty we are. That's how rusty we are. Yeah. It's been a while. How have you been? I mean, I have talked to you as a person since our last podcast, but what's what's going on? Yeah, you know, I mean, life is life is changing real fast mm-hmm. for for me and for everyone, I think probably. Mm-hmm. Uh I just heard that city council repealed their mask mandate, so I guess that's all going to be new. We're going to actually maybe see a lot of people's faces in the future if they're comfortable oh, with boy. it. <laughs> Keep the mask on for a while. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving along. Yes. <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul, we actually saw something this week. My God. Yeah. Shows have happened. Shows have been happening again. Uh, and we saw Peter Pan goes wrong at the Citadel. Um, what a, what a time, what a time. What, yeah, what a, what an absolute hoot. Um, also later on in the episode, um, I did see another show. I saw a dance show, Paul, uh, a Brian Webb dance company presentation of B-Boyisms in my body. Um, and for that, I enlisted our pal, Sony Dasmahapatra to join me for the review. So we'll throw to that a little bit later, but I think first let's talk about Peter Pan Goes Wrong right after this message from our sponsors. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with charities. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local nonprofits like the CKUA Radio Network and the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, which I also really like. Shopping local is especially important, of course, this time of year, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. You can learn more about switching your energy provider at parkpower.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. Now, if you want to start your day as an informed citizen, check out The Pulse, Taproot's daily news briefing. The Pulse tells you what you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. You'll get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, plus coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. And it's free. Sign up today at taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. That's taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. All right, Paul. Peter Pan went very, very wrong. (laughs) Yes, Peter Pan did go wrong, which, uh, you know, this is a show um, from, from Britain um that has uh existed uh the goes wrong sort of has become a series dot 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 there's like a television ver- there's a televised version of it there's a few different shows but it is ultimately yeah it's about this um this group of of amateur theater performers uh who are who are trying to put on productions and bless their hearts they do not go as planned 
Yeah, and the the Goes Wrong series are done by a company called Mischief, which, as you said, is out of the the UK. Um, and there were there were so many, I feel, UK nods, like to like British theater and pantomime, um, and of course the you know very storied tradition of Peter Pan, even itself, um, which you know just like progressively got even more and more um, disastrous as the show went on. Um, but I mean, set us up, Paul. How did um, what did what is uh, the production like when you walk into the Shakhtar Theater at the Citadel? You walk into the Shakhtar Theater. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, things are already sort of happening uh, a little bit. You're, uh, there's a, a few different people who are sort of coming to talk to you. One who is claiming he's the director or a co-director, rather. And he's telling you, this is a classic pantomime. And so when you see Captain Hook, there's a few like call and response things. You boo him every time. You know, pans behind him. You say he's behind you. There's a few other moments like that. Uh, well, there's another fellow um, played by Andrew McDonald Smith who's sort of coming around, being like, "None of that is true. Don't don't shout <laughs> things out." Um, in a, an immediate uh, fun buddy duo of uh, sort of uptight. Um, this is a professional uh, black tie sort of affair show, and the other fellow who's literally in a house coat telling you that, like, "Yeah, let's have fun with it." Uh, there's also some technicians who are running around. Clearly, there are some last-minute tech issues. Um, that, yeah, none of this is like, uh, like if you were just having a conversation with the person beside you, you'd miss it, and you'd the it's fine. You'd see the show, you'd understand. But it sort of builds that world that like, yeah, it's opening night, and uh, things are not not a hundred percent. Yeah, and the, the premise is that, is that this is a community theater production of Peter Pan that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, one of the the director fellow, played by Andrew McDonald Smith, who comes up to you, also plays um, Father Darling and Captain Hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, what I really kind of appreciated was uh, that they... The, the show does really maintain that those traditional elements of Peter Pan. There's the narrator, the script of Peter Pan is all still in there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like all of the famous lines about, um, you know, fairy dust and everything like that are, are all still um, part of the show. But um, what was, I think, really cool about the show is that so many of the things that go wrong actually felt a little bit dangerous. And so, you know, there's there's like... I was literally gasping at some of the moments that happened in the show. I don't want to give anything away, really, but there's some very near misses that you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like on one hand, it's a pretty simple concept as a show. It's like, oh, this thing goes wrong. It's right there in the title. You understand exactly what you're going to get. It. They deliver exactly that, a show going wrong. But yeah, it's one of those shows where you're like, God, I, if I could pay to see the tech side of it, you know, like, and all of the skill um, it takes to make a show look like it's going wrong, you know, mm-hmm. Peter flies in periodically quite badly, um, you know, um, clearly not really in control uh, and selling that, I think both in terms of acting, but also in terms of like the movement and the danger of that um, while making it still safe for the actors is, uh, is a really interesting side of it uh, in a show like this. And then, yeah, there were a few moments where, you know, uh, uh, bunk beds uh, don't stand up like they should, uh, yeah. you know, and collapse and things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously it's very controlled, but um, yeah, there's that sense of, uh, there is that sense of danger that comes from it or that sense of like, wow, even the, like the tech side of it is so, uh, so unhinged. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you did mention that the Goes Wrong series has done some things on TV or there's a, maybe mm-hmm. even a televised version of this. But 
after watching so much theater on screen or on like on TV or, or anything like that over the past couple of years, seeing this live and actually feeling the wind of say like a light falling from the rafters <laughs> is like, it was real. And it was just very, um, I mean, it kind of really pulled me out of that sort of funk that I had been sort of like, you know, watching things. And then you, you feel very distant from them when they're on a screen and everything feels very safe because you're not actually breathing that same sort of like air of, you know, like something that actually goes like happens, you know, like if the trees fall in Never Never Land, these people in the front few rows can actually feel the draft of that. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is maybe this is a weird comparison to make, but uh, in the last month, I also went to see uh, Jackass Forever, the latest Jackass movie, <laughs> uh, which is about uh, very, you know, um, uh, uh, people who are harming, putting themselves in the way of harm and pranking each other in in ways. Um, the reason I bring it up here is. Uh, as an audience member, I felt a very similar feeling watching that as I did this. Content very different, um, uh, much more family friendly here uh, in Peter Pan Goes Wrong. But uh, it's that sense of like, we, we have these communal things, we go to theater, we go to movies to sort of like watch something as a community and, you know, feel people react to things. So whether it was, you know, um, some of the shocking things that were happening in Jackass or just, yeah, like shocking moments of theater magic um, and getting to not only react to that yourself, but in a room of several hundred people sort of having that like <gasps> moment um, is, is a joy and is sort of like what these communal spaces and like uh, communal arts and performances and, and film uh, taking uh, taking in experiences is really feels like it, that's what it's all about to me is like getting to experience that with with other people, um, especially when it's something like this or Jackass that has a certain like visceral element to it where you're like, oh, that really happened. That really went. Yeah, yeah. I know. Really I have, like, <laughs> there is that. There is that sort of cringe factor. Like you know that in Jack watching Jackass, that it's gonna be either shocking or disgusting or like someone's going to get very hurt, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and with this, you know, like they built it to a point where you kind of, you could see someone, you know, say, go on, get wheeled on stage in a wheelchair or onto a boat in a wheelchair. And you're like, I see where this is going. <laughs> you know, like you get that, um, you get that feeling where you're kind of almost in on it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they still, in this production, they still ended up surprising you because they wouldn't actually like, like they would give, they would bait you with it. They'd be like, you think this is going to happen, but then they would do something rather unexpected with it. Um, and I think that, that was one of the cool parts of mm -hmm. um, of the direction. And I think of, you know, like the, the production, the way that it was created. I did want to talk a little bit about how um, there's there's a lot of sort of like meta theatricality in it or meta-ness about the theater world itself. In sure. this being a community production, all of the actors on stage are playing a character of actors in a community production, but they're also playing characters within Peter Pan. Right, right, right. So, Tell us a little bit about what happens with some of these characters um, that, that are doubling up, essentially. Yeah, it's fun. Like, the show gives you just enough context to appreciate that, like, second level. Like, it's not like um, the sort of, like, slamming doors farce. Uh, I think in one of the interviews... Um, uh, I was reading the director, Adam Megiddo, I think, was talking about, like, this isn't like a noises off where it's like, oh, you see 
you you get to see what's happening backstage and how people are reacting uh, while knowing that everything's happening on stage. Now, we are the audience at the show. We are watching the show. And anything that is happening behind the scenes for us to get it has to like spill out onto the stage uh, or into the the dynamics that are going on. And yeah, so that early one of like the co-directors or like, you know, director and assistant director, we find out later, um, watching how that dynamic sort of heats up is one of them, you know, uh, romance, you know, a love triangle happening between actors on stage that sort of accidentally gets aired for everyone in the room to hear uh, and how that sort of layers onto things. Yeah, it's really well crafted in layering just enough of that to to get you in on the joke. And then they have a lot of fun sort of uh, running with those those jokes and playing with those dynamics and seeing um, how the emotional toll of of community theater um when people treat each other in certain ways uh can be high yeah and i think my favorite sort of like doubling up of the care double character was um the there's a young actor who is um the son of the major sponsor of the production his and uncle, so Max, this, Max's uncle yeah 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 and this and this is played by oscar dirks um and of course you know he he's an aspiring actor he's very you know like charming and winsome and all of that and there there ends up you know um he ends up being part of a sort of like an inter- a love triangle in some way but um but just the idea of the um the theater sponsors as well, you know, the theater sponsors and like the kind of like the little bit of the nepotism that happens in something like community theater or in uh, lots of theater sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that character as well, who still ended up being the hero just because he just wanted to be an actor so badly, you know, people were just cheering for him for like hardcore. Cause he's the alligator, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that level of like, um, and even there's like references to like the the company's previous production, which didn't have much of a uh, a budget. So it was Jack and the Bean, um, <laughs> which is like, that's a fun one liner off the top of the show, but it like gets reincorporated in a really lovely way um, later on as like a, another payoff to that like kernel of a seed that was like dropped, um, a kernel of a joke rather that was dropped in early. Yeah. I also want to nod Belinda Cornish's performance too. She had probably some of the best quick costume changes um, and funniest, funniest payoff from those costume changes that I've seen in, in any show probably. Um, And also did a really, really wicked turn uh, as Tinkerbell. I thought she was also quite funny at that. Belinda Cornish is just hilarious when you give her a comedic role, I think. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the quick changes. There was one really interesting moment for me, um, uh, which was uh, she is changing right off the top in like the first 20 minutes or so. She's before the Peter Pan has shown up. um, She's switching between um, being um, the mother uh, and also the maid. Uh, And there are these really effective, very good quick changes, like, you know, between this like maid costume and this mother costume. And then like a a few into it, they fuck it up um, for for comedy. Uh, But like it is like this really interesting moment of like they can't like the production can do it. The Citadel (laughs) production of Peter Pan goes wrong, can make this magic happen. Uh, And it's like the sell of it. And now it's also going to go wrong was uh, was very was very fun. But also seeing those moments when, you know, it can work right and can be really effective and magical sort of like shows you like not only maybe why this like amateur theater company or community theater company like bought into trying to do it or what they were trying to do, 
but also as an audience just sort of makes you like buy in that like maybe maybe they'll get it <laughs> maybe this <laughs> this effect will go right this time maybe the chair with the narrator won't won't get stuck this time oh, yeah that was so <laughs> that was so amazing the narrator um play uh oh who was it yeah, um, it just keeps getting like forced into the stage on on this like you know sort of like narrator's like a storyteller's chair, and then just getting yanked off again in some awful way. Um, yeah, she, she was also really hilarious. And then, um, yeah, I think that the 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 skill the skillfulness of the production is is something to point out for sure. And that you know like, and we when we walked away from it, we kept saying like, oh my gosh, it was just like two hours of theater magic. And it's theater magic sort of in both ways and them showing you that they can actually do those like incredibly good quick changes or a really great set where the boat actually rocks back and forth. And they can also just completely destroy it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it's, and it's also um, funny and still like actually quite well choreographed. Um, Like by the end when they sort of like reach the hilt and the whole revolve is moving across Mm -hmm. like four different sets. It was just, uh, yeah, it was just incredible. I felt like I wanted to be on that revolve and just like go along for the ride. So. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Fun. Very fun. Just like, uh, again, a very simple premise that just like they, they tee up and knock out of the park um, quite effectively. Um, Yeah. Very, very fun. Uh, remind, and, you know, after after two weird years, as we're so used to saying, uh, just like a nice treat of like theater magic to be like, right. And and again, like magic and also to experience that with a group is like, yeah, it's fun. It's fun seeing shows. It's fun hearing people react. It's fun. It's fun. Let's keep doing this. Let's do this more often. <laughs> well, and with that, I mean, I think we can leave it at that. Um, just go see it. Go see Peter Pan Goes Wrong. It runs at the Citadel Theater until March 20th. Um, I'm going to throw now to our review um, with Sony of B-boy-ums, B-Boyisms in My Body. Hi, Sony. Hi, Fanta. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's a chilly Sunday morning in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that we both got to see this show together. Um, We saw a show called In My Body um, by Crazy Smooth and the B-Boyism crew, which was, I I felt it was just great. Um, What were your sort of initial impressions have you seen a show like this before i guess yes i have actually but more like um on the streets like you know in terms of it being like a really good big production or a on a stage in a very like closed environment um i have i've seen some stuff in toronto like this but it's more in like a club setting like i haven't seen it like as a performance you know what i mean yeah, as so, like a like a traditional sort of like in a conventional theater space, soft seats. Yeah, right? I, exactly. I feel like it was rare to see a performance like this in that way as well. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's like you know, back in the day when we used to be in Toronto, we would go to jams and they would have like a like a face off or something, right? Then you would see it there. You'd see this unfolding in different ways there with the DJ and with everybody sort of dancing, and then the circle would form and everybody would just come in, right? So. So it's really interesting now to see it like as part of like a whole dance repertoire that's well choreographed, that's thought out, that has amazing storyline and 
like beautiful lighting that enhances that piece of embodiment in my body. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, the biggest thing that struck me about this show was the messaging, right? Like the history of b-boying, the body as an act of resistance, the body as a active advocacy of social justice, right? I really appreciated all of those images and the way they've choreographed intergenerationally to build that capacity to understand that. Yeah, like I think the intergenerational cast, so there were there were dancers that were part of the older generation and dancers who were just sort of really up and coming. Um, and I felt that that in that way, the story and the honoring sort of of the elders of the community um, in hip hop and it was... What I really liked too, there was um, the one part with uh, the dancer, her, her name was Tash, um, talking about, you know, just how she's 50 years old, she's had kids, and she's just get, she's starting again. I like I just thought that was so beautiful and she was incredible to watch. Like what I loved about the choreography throughout the show was that um there was a really good interplay and mix between the group numbers where everyone was synchronized and it was like, you know, high rhythm, really high engagement. Um and then there and then there was sort of like the solo bits where you could really see what everyone was really good at and their sort and their signatures. Just loved seeing that. Yeah, it was so powerful. Actually, I stayed for the talk uh, after mm-hmm. and and um, it was actually three pieces. So there's the elder generation. And Tasha's actually 57. Oh, my God. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> I was like, what? And then the then uh, the middle, like Nene and Smooth, are like the bridge. They call themselves the bridge. Mm-hmm. And then the younger generation, who are all the cutie, like, you know, like, um, b-boys and girls who are, like, having, like, the parties all the time, right? They're the up-and-coming generation. And they said said something so beautiful about, like, creating this sense of collective space and community that if the elders are not there, then it's not the same. If the bridge is not there, it's not the same. If the young people are not there, it's not the same, right? So in order to function as a collective, they need everybody to have space and place and voice there, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things about their choreography that you had noticed, too, was... Um, somebody asked a really good question about like, how did you create this? Like, how did you create this um, choreography? And so it was like, you know, it was so interesting. He's like, I didn't have an idea. And then I saw like one of the younger dancers go and ask Tash, oh, how do you do this? Or what do you think of this? Or what do you think? And then she she just started teaching her organically. And Mm -hmm. that's how this started budding, right? It was like this whole like building of this um, sort of like response and play. And like, sort of like, how do we learn and teach, uh, not in terms of generation, but in terms of body and space together as dancers? Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think that um, talking about response, though, and how the kind of like the learning happens, what did you think of how... um, of the setting that we were in and the audience that we were with. It was sort of, I felt like it was kind of like eerily quiet for like a B-boy show, you know, right? Where where you want to call out and you want to cheer and you want to hoot and holler and all those kinds of things. Like, but the audience was very sort of like politely clapping and quiet, you know? I mean, I think they were enjoying it, but it just didn't feel like the, um, the, the sort of environment that, uh, that where everybody is engaged and like, you know, um, feeling invested in it. 
right? Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. You know, actually, that's so fascinating that you said that because, like, um, t- typically, like for me, just you know, seeing b boy performances, they're not really like stage performances per se, right? Like you're in a you're in a place where there's a DJ, there are people dancing, then all of a sudden this like cipher happens and then this battle happens or or it's sort of like a competition set up, right? Mm-hmm. But to have it choreographed on a stage like we were at, um, it's so different. Like I, I've never experienced that myself. So as a formal high artist, like choreographed dance performance, right? Number one. But mm-hmm. number two, you're right. The audience was quite older. Like I would say there were like, like, the older theater generation of Edmonton, right? Mm-hmm. So so it was really interesting to see their interplay too because I, I don't know if they were shocked or if they were just, what's going on? Or if they were confused or if they were yeah. getting it or, you know, so you can really read, I can read that. And um, at the end, it was really interesting because a lot of people started asking questions about acting in the dance and individual sort of nuances but the crew was like, yeah, it's individual, but we're also collective. We have to be together in order for this to succeed. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see that divide between individualism and collectivism um, yeah. as dancers on the stage. And one more person had asked a question, oh, I don't know much about this. It's something new, but um, but I'm so happy to learn about this. And then that I asked a question later. I'm like, you know, this is the thing. Like, I think that the history of B-Boy um, – on B-Girls is so important to understand as a history of resistance, as a history of resistance to the body, as a history of social justice and understanding how things shift and change. Because they talked about the history from the 70s, late 60s till now, and how they all had a part in understanding that, incorporating that into their dance. Mm-hmm. And even when you when we watch the dance, like you said, Fonda, like the lighting, like just the way that they had the lighting embody like in their heart, in their arms, in their bodies, and and then yeah, there, was, having- there was there was there was great projection of sort of like the actual like almost like blood flow coming from the center of the body, and it was being projected straight onto the dancers' torsos, and it like it looked like they were you know, like you could see sort of like their internal flow on stage, which was just beautiful. I thought that the production value in the projections um, and and the lighting was was really interesting. There was one, I think it was with Tash too. Some of the projections that were happening behind her, um, and the way that they sort of lined up with her movement were just—it was so jarring to watch. Um, but it also really accentuated just kind of like how unique that type of movement is in, in a way. And so, yeah, I really, really thought that you know, for a show like this to go up on the stage, on the traditional stage, to be able to use all that theater magic. Um, and that, I guess, you know, quote unquote, high art sort of way. Uh, you know, that's what that's what the Brian Webb, uh, like conventional audience, I think, is expecting. Um, and then to have a company like this sort of like be be part of that space and be like part of, you know, like part of the season. Really it's the first performance that this company has seen in two years that Brian Webb uh, dance company has put on stage in two years. And, um, and I know that they've actually, um, Brian has brought this, this, uh, this ensemble before with crazy smooth. I don't know if it's not quite the same dancers, but they've brought him his choreography and his company before. So 
So yeah, in that way, um, it's I I just think it's always such a refreshing part of the season because you know Alberta Ballet is not going to bring in these guys like you know that kind of thing. We're not going to see them otherwise. Um, and some of Edmonton's hip hop community was in the audience. Uh, like Brian nodded to Creation, who was sitting there in the third row in the at the beginning of the show. So that was great to see. Um, but yeah, like I do think that it's sort of like a little bit of a challenge sometimes to like throw this up for your regular subscribers when it's something that they're not used to, but it's important. Like it's important that we see that. And then we get the, that we get the depth of all of the current dance that is happening across Canada. So that's. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I'll leave with that really struck me was at the very end when there was question and answer, um, you know, there was that beautiful poetry as well that was like going off on the back of the screen when they were talking about the history of this dance form and what it means to the community and how it's been a form of social justice. And, um, and, and again, Brian also uh, said, Oh, spoken word is a huge uh, movement now in terms of artistic expression, right? Especially within the context of dance. So that was a piece that was there, but um, crazy smooth was like, you know, it it's really difficult to, you know, break into whatever mainstream art means anymore, right? To have that Alberta Ballet, oh, come do this b-boy thing here, right? So he said it took him a really long time actually to get into the mainstream. And things are so slow. It's so slow, right? But he said, you have to keep pushing the needle. Like, just, you know, keep on going and keep on pushing things. Because there's a moment now within the context of COVID happening and everything being online. So there's different opportunities now for people to be exposed more to these arts forms than they were traditionally before, right? So I really appreciated that he said that. And also, like, they're touring uh, North America now, right? So they'll be in Whitehorse. They're going to be in Ottawa, Montreal. Like, so they're going everywhere. So I'm so happy that they chose to come to Edmonton to sort of, like, have this space with Brian Webb's first show so that we could actually understand that as well, for sure. Yeah, and I think that um, that uh, Brian Webb Dance Company was actually part of like a co-producer on this production, so they helped in actually the like finding funding for the creation of it as well, which mm-hmm. is um, which is cool to know, you know, because I think that yeah, like if you've got if you've got that access and and privilege to get grants and get lots of funding, then like try out and help as many people as you can. Exactly. Um, so yeah, well, what did you think of like the like the the dancing itself? Tell me, tell me what you thought about like the moves. <laughs> oh my god, they were so good! Like I was just like in awe of like the headstands and the flips, and even like um, Tasha had done like this whole club dance scene. I <laughs> felt like I was like ready to dance with her. It was so it was so like uh, invigorating and like totally like in line. Um, you know, the middle in the middle there was a really slow locking piece with Nene and Crazy Smooth. And you know, I talked about the bridge piece, that's what it was. So yeah. it was like, you know, you're bridging not only from going to youth to age, but also bridging the dancers. But when Nene had done that piece of like super slow and they had that cool background, it like, you know, it was like she was so excited when the young people came and she had this energy. But then when yeah. she, the older we she's like so tired, right? So in this whole embodiment of aging and dance, like she did such a powerful piece about explaining how your body gets tired as you age. Mm-hmm. Even though you want to keep on going, you might not have that energy. And even the 
the artist that was there too, like the eldest, the eldest one, he also talked about that, right? And and I love the way that they interplayed with the breathing because they're like, <sighs> and they match their breathing to that kind of like, okay, let's how do old people breathe? How do young people breathe? How do people in the middle space of dance breathe? So so having those like different um, quirks was really interesting because then you also felt that energy, right? And as an aging dancer myself, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, oh my God, I understand this story, right? <laughs> I love that though, when like when you hear a dancer really breathing, like really like mm-hmm. they come to a moment of stillness and you as the audience member, even sitting at the back as we were, you could hear their breath. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're exaggerating a little bit because they want to show, of course, that they're aging and, and and trying to keep up but at the same time it, yeah they did use it in such an in such a way that it became the sound like it became the audio for what they were doing um and it sort of scored behind them I also felt that a lot of the moves um like I don't know if nostalgia is the right word but there's mm. a lot of like you know what I recognize from like growing up in the 80s and 90s of like what I would see on tv and things like that you know and like you know kind of like the um yeah, just like what I, I guess as a, a, you know, like a young white kid growing up in Edmonton, what I got exposed to as hip hop was on TV, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that was, um, yeah, it was it was neat to see that, but yeah, definitely some of the the elder dancers, like the the movement signatures and like the the um the the historical sort of like um styles that they're dancing with they were actually really sending them up and like and showcasing that too so so yeah that was pretty cool to see um yeah and it was kind of like I mean it's kind of just like a neat primer on like what hip-hop looks like through the ages a little bit or at least up to this point you know um and so it's interesting it'll be interesting to see where the where the young few dancers that were part of this company will be in another few years. You know? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's really what they were leaving behind too. Like that legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unless you understand the past and the present, how do you understand the future? Right. So I love that they showed that through the dance for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they um like they, they had a dedication at one point to, um, some some dancers that have passed, but that but they're also kind of they were showing sort of like what their um what their movement like what they were sort of like famous for like Marjorie Smarth and Frosty Freeze like and they and they sent up all these kind of like names of you know like the hip hop the the hip hop giants that now um are providing the shoulders that these young kids are are standing on. So that's really cool. Um, well, yeah. Any, any parting thoughts, Sony? I think we've covered quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is a really great opportunity to reacquaint and like witness hip hop in Edmonton, which is so exciting. And um, I really enjoyed the show and I hope that other people get a chance to check it out wherever they are. was our review of b-boyism um ran uh last weekend at the tim center um and brian webb dance company first show for them uh on stage in two years uh, brian webb said at the uh, off the top of the production so yeah looking forward to seeing more dance on stages too paul hey, yeah it's coming back seeing stuff what a what a thrill Slow, but sure. Um, Well, we'll leave it at that for now. I mean, there are things running. I know that Shadow Theater is starting Cottagers and Indians um, on March 10th. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, on March yeah, 10th another. is their opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a number, and that's a Drew Hayden Taylor show. Drew Hayden Taylor, very funny. He's been to LitFest before. Um, uh, I also highly recommend his um, his anthology on uh, indigenous not, um, science fiction, which is really great. Very cool. Um, yeah. In any case, um, there's lots of stuff happening. Check your check your listings wherever they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Check them out. Wear a mask. <laughs> go see some stuff. Yeah. Go see some shows, everyone. Um, we'll leave it at that. Until next time. Bye. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Episodes are produced by Fonda Mithrush and Paul Blinnell. We are recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Series art by Michael Nunweiler. Technical support by Andrew Paul. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you value independent, local arts coverage, please consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving us a review on your podcatcher. Find out more at idontgetityeg.com.